Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org slash give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org slash give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. Have you ever noticed that so many times the things that we're afraid of are not really that dangerous? That the obstacles and challenges, the dangers that we perceive that so many times steal from us, the great opportunities God has for us are not really as ominous and dangerous as we thought before we engage them. Sometimes we create a nemesis out of something that really is nothing more than a shadow. Most of us are more paralyzed and restricted by our fears than we are by the realities we face. Jonathan is an individual who stepped into a moment where everyone else felt that the odds and obstacles were too great. What they were facing was too big. Paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by the fear of failure, the fear of defeat, the fear of death. They stepped back and missed a divine opportunity that was waiting for them. We're going to look together tonight to this last component of the Jonathan factor, this ingredient that allows men and women to seize every moment of life, to squeeze the life out of every situation and every opportunity. And we want to look together at this, this interesting perspective that Jonathan has to go unless you get a no. Open your Bible with me. The first Samuel 14. First Samuel 14. Let's read the story again. But I'm going to begin in verse 22 of chapter 13. It says, So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Jonathan and his Saul, I mean, only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. 
On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach, the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, the other Sinak. One cliff stood to the north, toward Michmash, the other to the south, toward Gibeah. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his arm bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right, was right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an acre, in an area of about half an acre. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence here with us tonight. And we know, God, that in this place, we cover probably the spectrum of the spiritual journey. And some are close. And, and God, just have a real sense of your intimacy and reality in their life. Others searching, asking, wondering. And we ask you, God, to meet them here tonight, to meet each one of us here, to speak to the deepest places of our soul. And I pray, Lord God, that you would wake us up out of our slumber. God, that you would set us free from the fears that bind us. And I pray, Father, that tonight, that you would see in us this hunger, this ambition to seize every moment of our lives and to squeeze the life out of every moment, to truly live and not simply exist. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know the scenario if you've been coming for the past few weeks. The Israelites are at war with the Philistines. Jonathan wakes up his armor bearer in the middle of the night because his father Saul, whose king, doesn't really want to go to war. The warriors who are left, only 600 of them now, are just sleeping or resting under the shade of the pomegranate tree, but Jonathan couldn't sleep through the night. So he wakes up his armor bearer and he says, let's go, pick a fight. Let's go and see if, if this thing that God said he would do, he would really do. I mean, after all, God doesn't need a lot of people. Whether many or few, God is able to save. He did throw in this Interesting little thought that maybe God will help us out. Who knows? And so the armor bearer says, do whatever you have in mind, I'm with you, heart and soul. And then Jonathan moves into his uncanny, breathtaking, brilliant military strategy. He says, all right, let's go through the cliff and let's go ahead and let the Philistines see us, which is not all too bright. 
But somehow Jonathan had this sense that he needed to go beyond the point of no return. He had to step out of the, the shadows, out of the darkness, out of, in a sense, a, a neutral invisibility and move in that place where he was not only visible but vulnerable to that place where if God didn't come through, he was through. And if that were not bad enough, now Jonathan builds on that. If saying to his armor bearer, let's let those Philistines see us, wasn't enough to discourage him, his next strategy seems to be absolutely insane. He says to his armor bearer, all right, here's the idea. This is what we're going to do. He says, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. And if they say, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. In other words, look, when they see us, if they look at us and say, you Hebrew dogs, you stay there. We're going to come down there and, and we're going to teach you a lesson. We'll just stay where we are because that will be a sign from God that we're dead. So let's not run. We'll just wait there and die with at least with some level of nobility or dignity. But if they say, he continues, but if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, is this stupid or what? This is going to be our sign. When the Philistines see us, if they start taunting us and telling us, you come up here and we'll teach you a lesson, that'll be our sign from God that everything is really flowing. We are in a groove and God is going to make this thing happen. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Has it looked anything like this? Usually when we ask God for signs, aren't they the sign that makes life easier? the sign that's going to work, the, the sign that it's sort of like the, the promissory note, advanced commitment from God that everything's going to be all right. I mean, how many of us have ever asked God for a sign that was a neon light of danger, danger, danger? You move forward, you're insane. You're out of your mind. You've lost it. I mean, I, I'm not a military strategist, but it doesn't take a lot to figure this thing out. If the Philistines said, you wait there and we'll come to you. There is a distinct advantage in that because the Philistines would have to climb down the cliffs. Now, Jonathan does have one sword, so when the first Philistine comes down, he can just boom, cut that guy off. And then when he comes tumbling down, the armor bearer can pick up a sword, now they have two swords. And they could just kind of move, and as the Philistines were coming down the cliff, they could just start picking them off. And there are so many of them, they would just be overwhelmed in the end. I think that's a pretty good idea. That would make sense to me. Because, I mean, again, I'm not a mountain climber, but I have made a few observations. When you climb down a cliff, you have to use both hands and feet. Have you ever seen anyone come down with just one hand? It just doesn't happen. I noticed another thing, too. Every mountain climber who does it effectively always faces the cliff. <laughs> have you ever seen anybody climbing down like this? It doesn't happen. And so what, what this would mean if the Philistines said, you stay there, we're going to come down. What that would mean is they would have to turn their backs on Jonathan and his armor. But no, he says the exact opposite. He says, if the Philistines tell us, you come up to us, that will be our sign that God has delivered them into our hands. Jonathan had this, this strange perspective that God would always be calling him to advance, to move forward to take that, that step into his purpose, into the epicenter of divine activity and danger. And so he said, if the Philistines tell us to come, that will be our sign that God is going to make this thing happen. 
I remember when I was in fourth grade in Miami, Florida. We, were, we would have swim lessons from the school, so we'd go from the elementary school over to the pool, and it was required, I guess, because Miami's sort of surrounded by water, so they wanted you to be able to swim. And, and I would go every day, and I, and I would occasionally jump off the low diving board, but I didn't have the courage to dive off the high dive. I don't know if any of you guys could relate to that. I mean, I, I watched everyone go off that high dive. It just seemed like everyone could do it, but I just couldn't do it. And I would watch with envy. I mean, I longed to go off the high dive. I wanted to so badly. In my soul, I was diving. But in my flesh, I was just sitting. And, and it was a little humiliating for me as, as a guy that even like the girls that were younger than me were diving off the high dive. And it seemed like no one was afraid. They were all surviving. Everyone made it. I, I could see that objectively it was doable. It was possible. It was safe. But I just could not make myself do it. And, and after a period of time, I finally thought, I, I got to go off this high dive. And so I got in line, and there's always a ton of kids in line. And so once you're in line, you know, they're right behind you. And I, I kept thinking right before I got to the ladder, you know, am I, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? Because I knew that once I'm on the ladder, it's, it's a little too late, you know. And, but I got there. Remember, I felt that kind of steely metal feeling, you know. And, and I started pulling myself up the ladder, and kids were kind of pushing. And, and there was a kid right in front of me, and a kid behind me just kept bumping me, pushing me up. And, and then I, finally I got to the top. And, man, that was scary. You know, how, you know the place where you, you kind of step and now you're like over? And, and you step there and, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is really much higher than it was down there. And you look to the right and the left and you realize this is a very, very narrow board. And, and, and you realize also the concrete isn't that far away. And you're wondering, how does everybody make it into the water? And, and so I was kind of nervous and, and, I, and I started working my way up the plank. I mean, the, 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 the diving board. And, uh, and, and as I was kind of working my way to the edge of the plank there, I, I was looking and I stopped. And my head was saying, jump. I mean, no dive. I wasn't even trying to go like head first, nothing like that. I was just trying to do the old, ah, thing. But, and I, I just couldn't go. And my head was saying, jump, jump, come, jump, man, jump. And, but, but nothing was responding. There was some kind of like, physiological breakdown. It just wasn't going. And, and, then, I, and then I stopped. And I, and I, and I, you ever just been a moment you, you kind of lost yourself, but then you, you found yourself again? Well, that's what happened to me. I was, I was so scared. I was so panicky. But then I found myself. And I thought, what do I need to conform to the pattern of everyone else? Just because everyone else jumped doesn't mean I have to jump. I mean, why, why do I, I have to submit to peer pressure? If I don't want to do this, I don't need to do this. I don't have to be like everyone else. I can be my own unique person. I can turn around and crawl back down. And I had it already in my mind. I'm just going to go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and work my way all the way down the ladder. Who cares what people think of you? And so I turned around, and I worked my way back, and there is this really, really mean kid right behind me. And I said, excuse me? And he said, you're not coming back this way. I said, no, no, I am. Excuse me. He goes, no, you're not. There's only one way down for you. <laughs> I tell you, I hold no bitterness against my brother Alex to this day <laughs> for doing that to me. And so when he would not move, I had to turn around and kind of slither my way back to the other end and, and then jump. I lived. It was actually e even fun. Exhilarating. And, and after I did it, it was, oh, well, that wasn't hard. I can do that. I can do that again. And, and I was never afraid of doing that again. 
And I, I, I think about our lives, and I wonder how many times we're at the edge of the, of the board of the plank, and the next step is the real step, the one that takes us to a different place, different experience, new journey. But, what, but we become paralyzed by our fear, and, and, and it just looks so big, so immense, so overwhelming. We don't think we can, we can take that one more step. But some of us haven't had the, the benefit of, of an older brother who won't let you turn back and crawl your way back down to the safe place. It would have been so easy for Jonathan to say, you know, this isn't working out. When, when those Philistines looked at him and, and started taunting and chastising him, it, it would have been absolutely reasonable to say, you know, this has not been the best idea I've ever had. And after all, my father didn't really give me permission to go. I need to go back and ask, and I'll, I'll come back if he says yes. But he didn't. I wonder how many times in our lives we have missed the divine moment. We have missed that spectacular opportunity God has for us because when we got to the place where it was time for us to jump, to step forward, to go, we just were paralyzed by our fear and shrunk back. Jonathan says to Zoran Bear, here's the way it's going to work. When those Philistines see us, if they start telling us to come up, this is our sign from God. So what happens? Well, it happens exactly as Jonathan had hoped. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost, looks at the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his arm bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. And this is so great. I mean, here they are, you know, the, the, these giant Philistines, right? I mean, smelly, nasty, barbaric. They get up and they go, look, there are those Hebrews crawling out of their holes. Those dogs. Hey, you, Hebrew dog, come up here. We'll teach you a lesson. Right? And Jonathan, what does he say? He says this. So Jonathan said to his armor, climb up after me. The Lord has given them in the, the hand of Israel. There they are taunting him, challenging him, mocking him. And Jonathan says, isn't God good? Man, it doesn't get any better than this. Let's go, man. And so they start climbing up the cliff, certain that God was in it. I wonder how many of us have actually allowed our lives to be torpedoed because instead of going head on into the crisis, into the challenge, we started running for our lives. And we didn't realize that a lot of the damage in our life has been because we've relinquished the mission that God has called us to that we have walked away from his God-given destiny. And as we began running out of fear, that's when we became most endangered and paralyzed and hurt. I wonder if you were facing a challenge right now, a God-sized challenge so big it scared you, you knew you could not accomplish it on your own. Your own personal demons, a dragon to be slayed, a giant to be beheaded, I wonder if you would start running for your life or whether you would just simply turn and go head first, even if that torpedo of life had the opportunity and possibility of destroying you. Would you go unless you get a no? Do you have an advanced mentality? Would you choose to go head on into the challenge? You are called not to be a survivor, but to be a conqueror. With passion and anticipation, you move with determination into the eye of the hurricane. 
This Jonathan factor drives you to face the greatest challenges head on rather than to run from those challenges with your tail between your legs. I don't know what it means for others, but for a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to live on the edge is to stand at the epicenter of where the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of darkness. When evil raises its ugly head, taunting God and tormenting the weak, the adventurer rises up and moves toward the challenge like a guided missile. The adventurous spirit moves toward its greatest challenge. What if your greatest strength, your greatest power, your greatest capacity, your greatest potential can only be unleashed, discovered, experienced, lived out until you start heading headfirst into the challenges God has for your life? I remember when when Mike Tyson was more dangerous in the ring than outside the ring. And no one could... <laughs> You're about a millisecond off tonight, but that's all right. And no one could figure out how to beat this man. And he was a terror on the canvas. And there was this really unknown boxer named Buster Douglas who wasn't really, I guess clever enough to be afraid. He just didn't know any better. He did something different than all the other boxers that went against Tyson. You see, when Tyson would come with all of his strength and with all of his fury, what was the natural thing to do? To step back, to back up, to protect yourself, to try to stay away from his force and strength, his anger, his power. But this boxer, Buster Douglas, although he was really essentially unaccomplished, he did the one thing that every other boxer was too afraid to do. He just kept moving forward. And what they discovered, and it helped Holyfield beat Tyson later, was that, that Tyson's power was essentially neutralized when the opposing boxer refused to move back. And if you would just keep moving forward, leaning in, stepping at him, he could never hit you with the force of his power. I wonder how many of us have experienced our greatest damage because we have been running with our tails between our legs. Paralyzed, saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What should I do? Should I do this or that or that or that? Until I know I won't do anything. Jonathan had an advanced mentality. He had a life perspective to go unless he had a no. Is that you? See, I think a lot of us actually have an advantage mentality, not an advanced mentality. See, that's why Gideon is our patron saint and not Jonathan. Everybody knows a little bit about Gideon, even if they don't know anything about the Bible. See, Gideon was the guy, remember, who God spoke to and, and God commanded him to go to war against the Midianites in this huge coalition. And, and Gideon said, well, but Lord, is this really you saying this to me? Now, up to that point, they've been having a great conversation and Gideon was never confused. But as soon as God told him to go and pick a fight, now he's uncertain. And so he, he takes this fleece and he has a two-part test of God. One time he says, God, I want you to, in the middle of the night, I want you to wet the fleece and keep the ground dry. Another one, he says, God, I want you to wet the ground and, and keep the fleece dry. 
And I'm amazed. God is so patient. I mean, if I were God, I wouldn't have done either one. But God is different than me. And, and, and so God did it. He, he gave them both the signs. And after he gave them the first one, it's like Gideon said, well, that's not really enough. Can I get another sign? And it has become for those of us who have been influenced by our Christian tradition, it has become an excuse for us to live paralyzed, unfaithful lives. To live in security and safety rather than adventure and risk. It has become for us our way of looking religious and spiritual and really never living the faith journey out at all. I love what God does after that, and you should remember this. God did give him his signs, but then God said, oh, let's, let's do something else. You have 32,000 soldiers. Let's let everyone go home who doesn't really want to fight. 22,000 soldiers said, okay, I'll take that leave. And so out of the 32,000, 22,000 went home, and God just, it wasn't really much of a test. He said, anybody want to go home, you can go home. I mean, just went. 10,000 left. And the tragedy is that later God gives Israel victory, and it tells us that the 22,000 who went home and all their families, they reaped the benefits of the victory. But what they missed out is the, the exhilaration of the battle. I wonder how many of us are followers of Jesus Christ and all we really want is just the benefit of the victory. And what God really wants for us is the exhilaration of the battle. He wants us not to run home, but to step forward and risk everything for the life he has for us. And then when there's 10,000 left, I'm sure Gideon was thinking, we've got a numbers problem here. I just had 22,000 men leave. 10,000 still here. And God says, we do have a numbers problem. We need to reduce this number a little bit more. And so God then gives them a little criteria, and it whittles down to 300. Now, I love this. It's like God said, all right, you didn't have enough faith to go, so you needed a sign, then you needed two signs? Great. I met you here. Now I'm going to absolutely strip you clean because one way or another, I'm going to get you to live the faith journey. One way or another, I'm going to move you on this adventure. And so with 300 men left, God says, okay, now, go pick a fight. And I'm going to prove to you that I am with you. You'll never be able to rely on your numbers. I think a lot of us really have relinquished an advanced mentality for an advantage mentality. Have you ever thought to yourself, oh, gee, I wonder if God's in this? And, and, and then you prayed, and the way you ask God to prove he's in it is he provides, like, money. Or he provides, like, resources. I'm amazed how many Christians live in a vacuum of faith. They think that God has to provide everything before they act, before they go, before they live. It's almost as if it's, it's provision before mission, rather than mission and then provision. And the reality is that God will strip you clean of all your advantages. He will strip you naked so that you can come to that place where you recognize that he is God and he can do amazing things through your life, regardless of what you have. You will never miss a divine moment because you're not smart enough, educated enough, wealthy enough, gifted enough. 
But you will miss divine moments if you don't trust God enough to advance and let God come through. What would happen if every one of us in this room said, all right, God, I got it, I get it. You have given me a mandate to live life, to be on this adventure, to go unless I get a no, to lean forward, to move fast, to strike hard. That's why I love this, the animal metaphors, you know. And let's see if you guys remember them. All right, a little test. I'll make the easy one first. A bunch of lions are called a, a pride. All right, that was the easiest one. I'll give you a little adventure. A bunch of elephants are called a herd, because you can hear them, right? A bunch of crows are called a murder. A bunch of vultures are called a committee. That explains so much about life, doesn't it? <laughs> a bunch of flamingos are called a flamboyant. But our life metaphor those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ who get it, advance! Go unless you get a no! It's a rhino. Because what do you call a bunch of rhinos? Rhinos can only see 30 feet in front of them, but they can run 30 miles an hour. And so whatever's at 31 feet, better move. What would happen if you and I could finally get it? That God created you with the capacity to choose. He gave you this amazing gift of imagination. He has filled you with talents, gifts, abilities, passions, intellect. And then he says, go! Do the God. Change the world. Make a difference. Touch a life. Dream big. Have the courage to pursue them. Advance. Go unless you get a no. Be a rhino. You don't have to see everything. Just move with confidence in everything you know God is calling you to do. There is enough, there is enough, there is enough that is clear in the Bible for you to fill your whole life with. I remember the first time I went snow skiing. I've only been once. And I, I've tried, so I, that's why I remember the first time. And I've tried many times, but every time something went wrong. And, and this, this guy came uh, who was a pastor, and he said, hey, let's go skiing. And I said, sure, let's go. I've always wanted to go. So we went up over to buy Big Bear, and, and I, I bought the, like, the little package, you know, for, for like the lessons, you know, the one that all the children take, because I, I didn't know how to ski, so I paid my $17 for the little lesson thing, and I was there with, you know, all these overachievers, and, and they taught us how to put our skis on and how to get on the lift and how to get out, how to fall effectively, and, and, and it lasts maybe, you know, 20 minutes, and they say, all right, there's just one really important thing for you guys to remember. You need to stay at the green circles, your green circle material. And then there are some blue squares, and as the day, you know, um, progresses, if you feel better, then go to the blue square. But do not, and we repeat, do not go to the black diamonds. And, uh, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening. I'm saying... No black diamonds for me, you know. <laughs> Green circles, blue squares. I got it. And I am neither colorblind nor geometrically like crippled. I understand exactly what those mean. And and then I went to my friend, my, Bob. Hey, I'm done with my lesson. And he goes, Great, let's go. And he said, Green circles, blue squares. Goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's go. And, he, and we got on the lift and I started going up. And I looked up and I saw this sign and it looked so much like a black diamond. <laughs> and and I said. Bob, that's, that's a black diamond. And he goes, yeah. And I, and I said, you know, 
I'm, I'm forbidden, you know, from the black diamonds. I'm not allowed to go up there. And, and I said, does this lift, like, drop you off, you know, in the different sections, you know, the green circle and the blue? And I, I discovered that th there are lifts for each section. And this lift was going nowhere except for the, to the top. And, and, and I said, oh, no, this is not good. You know, I mean, Bob, I haven't even done, like, the green yet, you know, and much less the blue. And, and he goes, oh, it'll be fine. And, you know, and... <laughs> And so we got to near the top, and I said, you know, Bob, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write it down, you know, and so I can start again, you know, and, and get it right. And he goes, I'm, it doesn't work that way, man. you got to get off. There is no way down except that way down. And so we got off the top. I got off okay. And, and I'm looking down, and, you know, Bob's a pastor, so he has all this compassion and mercy, so he just took off. <laughs> and, and I watched him. Choo, 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 choo. I mean, he just went. It was so pretty, you know, and it, it was so fast, and, and, and I thought, man, you know, no one told me how to do that thing, you know, and, and so I looked, and I saw trees and what looked to me like cliffs, and, and I thought, okay, stay somewhere in the center, you know, somewhere in the center, and, and, and I started going really, you know, you start, and, and it's fast, you know, you, you know, and, and I thought, oh, man, this is fast, you know, and, uh, and I, thought, I, I gotta stop, I gotta stop, and I saw like a snowdrift, and I looking around, I thought, that looks like the softest one, so I just kind of turned, you know, and, and uh, plowed head first into like, you know, one of those five feet snow drifts, bam. And I just, you know, survived it, you know, and I got up and I thought, okay, I can do this. I can make it all the way down just targeting snow drifts. And so I just went, shboom, you know, and got up and shboom. And, and, I, and, I, and about, I don't know, 40 minutes later, I, you know, I staggered to the bottom and I, and I, I, I made it. You know. It wasn't shboom, but it was shboom, 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 shboom. But I found my way, and, and, and then, you know, but once you do that, you can't really go to the green, you know, you know what, oh, the kids, you know, and it's like that, okay, I'll go to the, the blue square, because, you know, I, I've done the black diamond, you know, and, uh, and so I, I took the lift to the blue square, and I felt so pretty good, you know, and I lived, and, and then I got off that blue square and looked down, and I thought, hmm, the good thing is there was no trees. But there was no, no snow, no snow drifts. And so I thought, how am I gonna, how am I gonna like control myself? Because you know, it was, only, it was my own personal approach, you know. And but I had no way. And so I thought, all right, I don't know what to do. So and I, I couldn't, I couldn't even in my mind figure out how they do the swish. So I just jumped and went, and man, I was like, there was moving. And I mean, I was like, people were, choo, 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 choo. Yeah, they were going, choo, 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 choo. You know, and it was, and I, and I saw this like lounge. There was like a wooden lounge. And there were all these people outside eating, you know, on the, on the patio, you know. And, and they see this guy, choo, and I'm coming at him full speed, hard and fast. And I have no idea how I'm going to stop. So I'm thinking, man, the lounge, the lounge, because there's like, there's like a ramp right into the restaurant area. And so I'm shh, and then, shoo, and when the snow went on, on like the logs, shh, shh, I went and then finally just kind of brought me to a stop right there at the restaurant. Yeah. And, and the ski instructor walked over me and his eyes were like this. I said, man, that took like, well, that, 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 that was bad, man. That, was, that, that took some nerve. He used a different language, but, you know. And uh, he goes, that, I never, I've never seen anyone take that blue wide open like that. 
He said, yeah, yeah, you know. He <laughs> said, look, I can't ski. I was just leaning forward and trying not to fall. And that really is, I think, sometimes the formula for living life. You just lean in the direction you want to go. Lean forward, just don't fall back. Because life doesn't have any green circles. And it really doesn't always have a lot of blue squares. Life is a black diamond. And the second you enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're getting off on the black diamond left. There, there's no practice life. There's, there's no, unfortunately, no warm-up. When, when, you, when you're a child, you're in the real world. When you hit 16, you're, you're in the real world. When you're 22, you're, you're in the real world. And, and there is no practice world without pain or problems, without disappointments, without temptations. You get the black diamond world from the goal. And if you and I could just get a hold of the fact that God has created us with the capacity to live a God-inspired, God-empowered adventure, and that we have been given the goal to advance and live life to the fullest. Maybe you and I could become as insane as Jonathan. Hey, if they say, you come up to us, they won't teach you a lesson. We'll climb. I, I, and I love what, what Samuel writes. Right after that, he goes, and Jonathan and his army are climbed up using their hands and feet. And I'm like, what else would they use? Upper lip, you know, I mean, what, what are they going to do? But what, John, wait, 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 what the Bible wants you to know is, look, these guys were having to climb their way up. The Philistines were waking up, taunting them, waiting to kill them. And even when everything seemed to be their disadvantage, because they advanced, they made a decision, I'm going to go unless I get a no. They were able to be in that moment in such a way where God came through. How many moments have you missed because you stayed there paralyzed, waiting for permission to do the good. I have in my pocket a reminder to me of the amazing power and humor of God. This is my um, Disneyland annual passport. Expired. Magic Kingdom. I was driving to the Long Beach, I mean, uh, John Wayne Airport. I had to fly to Chicago to speak at an event. A few thousand people were going to be there. And when I got to the airport, I didn't have my wallet. You know how ever since September 11th, you have to have your government-issued ID? I couldn't find anything. No license, no green card, no passport, nothing. I am scrambling through the whole car, just trying to find something, even a brochure with my picture on it, anything. I couldn't find anything. And, and I was digging around. I, I finally found my expired Disney pass. It just has like a scanned black and white. It was, and it's not even active. It's, it was expired, you know, outdated. I just, it was just sitting there because it was worthless. And, and my friends who were going, I said, you guys go to Chicago. I'll go home, get my wallet. I'll, I'll try to come back and, and see if I can get over there. But then I knew if I went home, I would never make it. So I thought, all right. I remembered this thought. I don't know. It just came crashing to my head. Go unless you get a no. I got it from here. And, and so I walked in. I grabbed my, my, my Disney pass, <laughs> my carry-on luggage. I said, let's go, guys. So we walked inside. I won't tell you what airline. 
And I walked in, so I left my wallet at home. I said, here. And she looked at my Magic Kingdom card. She turned it over, looked at me, and said, all right, Mr. McManus. And uh, she gave me my boarding pass. And this is not just the Magic Kingdom card. This is a Kingdom of God card. <laughs> and I learned again in that moment that so many times in our lives, we turn back because in our minds, there's no way it could possibly work. What would happen if you just walked forward in life with courage, tenacity, perseverance, insanity, faith, risk? Jesus said to those motley, uneducated, untrained disciples, already declining from 12 to 11, having lost Judas. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Fill in the details. Just go. Change human history. Go. Alter the topography of the human landscape. Go. Change the world. Transform individuals. Overthrow Rome. Write the pages of the future. Yeah, the 11 of you, just go and do what only you can do through my power. I wonder tonight if you have been surrendering yourself to existing rather than living. If you've been paralyzed to sleeping through life rather than transformed living it to the fullest. Some of you are going to take the last breath of your life and with that breath, you will breathe in a lifetime of regret. The best memories you will have are of a life you should have lived. And unless you change the course of your life, unless you change the choices you make, unless you seize the divine moments that God invites you into, that end will be yours or mine but you do have the choice. You don't have to wait till that moment of regret. You can choose now to meet God in this place, to trust him with your life, to lay yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ, to let him change you from the inside out, to let his death be your life, and let him take you on an adventure you could never imagine on a journey you cannot take alone. But the choice is yours and mine tonight. You're going to exist or live? What's it going to be? You're going to go unless you get a no, or just wait and fill your life with excuses? Let's pray together. God, I just so desperately want, if at all possible, 
to help anyone who's here to not look back on a life filled with regrets and untapped potential and life unlived. And I want to thank you, God, for shaking me out of my sleep, for waking me out of my slumber, for taking me from death to life. And I just ask you, Lord God, to make yourself so known tonight, so clear. God, to just shake us loose and free from the fear or the sin that binds us. And Lord, you know our hearts and you hear our prayers. And for each one who is here that would say to you, Jesus, I want to be with you and follow you and live this adventure. I want to seize this divine moment. That you just envelop them right now in your love and let them know that from this moment to eternity, they are now on a journey with you. May our last breath, God, be filled with memories of life lived. Even in death, may we be filled with celebration. I pray, God, you would do that in our lives tonight. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us today in the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together. Mm -hmm.